Howdy Partners, and welcome to another episode of the Howdy Partners podcast, where we help you to do your job with tactical insights from people who have done it before. We are joined with Sunir Shah, who is the CEO and founder of AppBind, and of course, got other things on the go. But Sunir, I'll let you introduce yourself, uh, and then we'll dive into the topic today. Tell us about Sunir. I mean, a lot of people here probably know me through the Cloud Software Association and SaaS Connect, and I've basically been doing partnerships for since I had hair uh, 14 years ago at FreshBooks, started the marketing partnership team there. Um, CMO Olark went crazy at how difficult it has been uh, to bring SaaS to distribution. Uh, and I you know, have a technical solution, which is AppBind. allows us a rapid subscription product and allow you to sell through distributors, consultants, retailers. Uh, and I also buy drinks for people on the internet's bartender. And uh, I also invented the freelance syntax on Wikipedia so I can... You can blame me for a hundred years about why we use double brackets. That's entirely my fault. I love it. And I especially love the free drinks. I'm always happy to partake uh, whenever year is around. Free links and free drinks. That would be my tombstone. I love it. There you go. Um, so today's topic, we are going to be talking about channel partner programs and why they get bogged down. And Sunir, you and I have had some chats and I love that you are the uh, angry uncle sitting in the the corner with his glass of whiskey. So you have really good opinions. That's what I mean by that. And so I know you're ta- uh, you're passionate about this topic. So what do you think is wrong with what most partnership leaders are focusing the conversation on in the market today, based on your experience? So partnership leaders, interesting use of phrase. So I would say um, the most interesting thing that I have come to realize, and also because I've been raising around and the investors think <laughs> that they can hear us on social media, is especially running up to Catalyst, which is Partnership Leaders Conference. Uh, it's so much partnership pity party. It's like everyone is complaining constantly that their job is too hard. They're bad at their job. They have no authority. It's leadership's fault. And what CEOs and boards actually see is when you when you someone keeps saying that their job is too difficult for them to be successful at, or they're it's they're not being successful, it's too hard. I, it, I agree with you. It's probably too hard for you. Uh, and I think uh, there's a lot of push to lay everyone off. And I've been taking a lot of very active lines uh, on LinkedIn against people complaining constantly about their jobs uh, because I want to support my customers and my members and my friends in their job. And it is leading to, leading to layoffs. And I don't think this is good leadership. Uh, but I also also think that I kind of starting to agree that I don't think I was a partnership person. This is what Chris said to me when he said, uh, I shouldn't belong with partnership leaders. I'm a CEO. Uh, I'm not a partnership person. That, that kind of wounded me. And But I thought about it. It's, he's right. I'm not a partnership person. I'm a CX person who has built partnership programs. And I would say the biggest problems I've had in my career is when I have ended up in a titled partnership role, uh, which we can get into here. And there is some truth to the fact that it's hard to be in partnerships. But I don't think I also have agreed with that. I think I agree with the planning that it's hard. You can't be a partnership leader. Exactly. You need to be a leader at your company around whatever goal it is, revenue, customer, product, that tactically may involve partnerships. Uh, it's very difficult 
to build a career in isolation from the customer uh, in a company. So I think that's a leading to a lot of this conversation out there. Uh, my peers from my generation have been around too long, did not have this problem because we didn't have partnership teams. We were from other teams doing partnerships. We're honestly, the, I don't want you mean to brag, but we didn't have these problems. People complained about it. That was what we had. We were different problems, but these are not the problems we had. We were much more successful, much faster. And I think this idea of building like chief partnership officer, or chief ecosystem officer as a career path is a bit silly because the CX suite doesn't just make a title at the CX level for you because you want, there's a reason why that happens strategically at the company um, from the, from the board and CL, CX level. And I think you have to think about it from the other side of the table. What does the company need? And is it partnerships or is it market development? Those are just ideas. What is actually bogging down a program then? So it's, you know, there's the lack of buy-in is the narrative right now and we need more executive buy-in, but let's say in practice in an organization that maybe they have buy-in or that's not even like something that they're worried about, what are some of the main reasons that programs are getting bogged down? Okay. Well, first I have to say that if you're in the revenue generating function, selling people and persuading people is a core skill. So this is another reason why it doesn't go well when you complain that you don't buy in. Because when the executive side of the table, which is like I said, I live in now, hears that, they just think that maybe you don't have the skill set to handle this, this responsibility. Like we agree with you that you're, you are having a hard time. That's what you're, what you're broadcasting constantly. So I want people to reframe the conversation. I think more empathetically, as if you're selling to the other person, you're like you have to serve the customer. And there's two customers to the company. There's the actual customer of the company. And if you're an employee, that's also your boss. And you have organizational buy-in the nanosecond after you were hired, right? They hired you because they wanted you to be successful. You know, very few companies are pathological. They truly, most companies truly want you to be successful. They're excited about hiring you. They want to see you uh, do great things. They want to support you. And then you're getting bogged down. And uh, you can take that personally or you can take that professionally. Um, I will tell you uh, when, one thing I learned uh, in my journey up the ladder was that the CEO is always freaking out. They're the most anxious person at the company, at least they should be uh, in most SaaS companies because most companies are losing money, right? And so uh, they can't reveal that to staff. But if you take it on yourself to treat them like a customer and your job or a client, I mean, if you're a contractor, it's talking about channel, as a how they think clients your job is to bring that area of the business under control for your boss so they don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, and that being, bringing it under control may mean making it successful and making revenue, or it be, may be coming to the realization that there is no market demand for this and cutting it and so that you can go and work on another market development action, which may not be partner related. Right? There's, there's, there's not very many people who have the same level of skills the founders had when they started the company. If you develop that kind of lean startup attitude about building the next business line, the next business line of that company, you'll do well. Even if there may not be enough opportunity at that company, they're going to still love you and help you find another job. But if you sit there uh, in this kind of fear of being fired, that you need to be in partnerships, you need to make partnerships work at all costs, uh, that's neurotic in a way. I mean, that's that's misaligned to what the what the market is telling you. You're talking about your inner fears, uh, and you're like looped in your own fear. You're not reaching out to the rest of the company. You're not engaging with your boss. You're going to have difficult problems. And I think a lot of the conversation is heading this way. And I do think, you know, speaking of the goal of partnership leaders, which I, well, is admirable. I mean, they're, they don't, Asher, Chris, and Tyre are trying to be positive, but that kind of distortion 
of making partnerships thing by itself disconnected from customer demand uh, may cause problems. You know, and I think it's really important to remember that we only do partnerships because the customer needs that partner to advance to our buyer's journey and or their buyer's journey. And it's only that we serve the customer and that they need to work these other work with these other companies that we do partnerships. It is that you know you have to be rooted maniacally in the customer and that everything comes from there. And so I think I realized that I've never actually started in partnerships. I always started on the customer side. And then because naturally every market is structured with lots of companies involved, you need to have a part you end up with a partnership strategy just because it's efficient and necessary. So it sounds like the reason that a program gets bogged down is because it starts to become more of a business efficiency function than it does a customer value function. Is that a good a good summary? Yeah, I would say it's become disconnected from the customer. That's what I would say. And it becomes about sustaining the team internally. It becomes an internal goal rather than an external market goal. You can't get bogged down if there's market demand because the market will make you do it. But if you're not focused on the market, you're focused on your own self, then you get then you ship yourself up. And I think a lot of programs are just focused on preserving themselves rather than thinking about nimbly, you know, where can we do more for that customer? You know, maybe with partners, maybe without. I have to be wrong, but I'm I'm kind of pushing in that direction. Like let's recenter on the customer. By the way, this is why I love Nearbound as is as, as, as another story in the market. You know, it's just chef's kiss, you know, such a perfect campaign, campaign genius. I took Isaac's uh, uh, gauntlet. It's like, challenge me, I'll fight your best team in the world. I will challenge him. I will fight you. You are the best team in the world. Screw you guys. I love it. Uh, being a part of that team, I have to only say thank you and be humble. So <laughs> we'll leave it there on, on your bound. Um, okay. So with that, then tell me the story that you and I chatted about where you're like, Talking about integration partnerships, where it seems like, and I might mis- be misrepresenting your words here, but you tell me, it seems like there are some teams that are building integrations just to build an integration and try and game some BD opportunity rather than, like you said, focus on the actual customer value. What would you say about that? And like, why would you say that is happening? Um from like an integration building and relationship standpoint. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of how humans are, right? So if you do, I mean, I don't know if what you guys would did in school. I have a computer science degree, a master's degree, did some business classes. So I kind of ate a lot of stuff. And so one of the things I loved about business was organizational behavior and design and structure. And one of the things you have to understand is that if you give someone a role, they don't care about the company's goals. They care about their goals. And if you give them a goal, they're just going to focus on that, whether it makes sense or not. So if you have a team focused on doing integrations, they're going to do as many integrations as they can, because that's what they're measured on. But it's not driven, it's not rooted in the customer's uh, needs. And so one of the things that we were good at, just to tell a story, but my I was very, very good at FreshBooks at promoting our integrated partners to our customers. So everyone, of course, told everyone about that. And we had an inbound flood of people integrating with us. Long after I left, it continued happening because we had the reputation. But one of the weirdest ones I saw, and I love live chatting, even though there are competitors at Olark, but they're a great company. But they built an integration with FreshBooks in the chat widget. I'm like, why? There's no customer use case here or demand. They just wanted a logo in our app store. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. The product was good. The brand was good. The integration made no sense. And you know, I always say, 
well, I said back then, like we have to make a win-win-win. The customer has to win the most. And then if they win, then you win and I win by making more revenue because they have all the money. The customer. But what happens is you end up with this, I need to just do all the integrations in order to get more logos everywhere, get more like blog posts. Well, it's like a little, you might get a sugar high, but there's no, like, it doesn't fit the market need. If you're not sitting the market need, eventually the market wins all the time. You can't beat the market. Like the market wants what it wants and you just do what it wants. If you don't do what it wants, you just waste money. It's not that complicated. If you don't do what it wants, you miss the opportunity. You just do what they want. It's not that complicated. Uh, I think we forget though. That's why. And I think also that if you have a lot of people in, in, in uh, non-strategic roles doing, having this kind of level of latitude and you don't let that, and you don't have a culture of connecting them to the core customer needs, like the core customer teams, uh, you can end up quite astray, uh, quite very quickly, very very quickly. So, so it sounds like a good summary of that is again more of a we're doing this business thing because it's a business thing, and I have an objective to it and to to achieve it. KPIs associated with it, so I got to do it. And I'm just going to squeeze the square peg into a round hole. Uh, doesn't matter if customers use it or not, because that's on them or on our partner. You're not being paid. You're not being paid to the customer sees it or not. That's right. Yeah. And that's sad. I mean, who wants to have a career where no one cares what you do, right? Like that's, I'd rather fight to say, I've, I've, ha- I've asked, I, I used to tell the story, I asked the CEO at FreshBooks to fire me because my job was useless. I didn't mean fire, fire me, but I like, killed this whole thing I was doing for a year. I was like, this is, absolutely a waste of time and it's an albatross but you have to be willing to do that right because no one's ever going to get rid of someone who's willing to like optimize the company you know if you want to be a leader you have to like realize that the job like the work comes and goes the market and the company opportunity is god you know so you just serve you know king queen and god's customer you will always be okay my opinion i mean the opinion it's the opinion but i think we forget it all the time right right so going back to what bogs down programs, um, clearly it's a, it's a misrepresented or rather misaligned focus. Um, what would you say are the top three factors that influence slower gro- growth within a program? And this could be from a market perspective, from a board perspective, from like a competency perspective uh, of the actual person running the programs. What are the, the top three factors in your mind? Uh, let me talk about channel programs because that's where I've been focusing my last few years. Uh, integrations I can talk endlessly. That's mostly engineering resources and customer feedback and demand. I mean, that's pretty much product management is the number one problem, integrations, simple. But on channel, it's much harder because you actually have to sell through someone else. So what kills that? The number one problem in channel and distribution is that we've moved to subscriptions as a, as a business model. And I say this all the time, and it's a bit abstract, but you have to think about it from the customer just needs to get on with their life. They literally don't care about any of this. Right? They just work, they're worried about their own business or their own lives, and they need to move forward. And they need this problem solved, and there's technology to solve that problem. Half the time, they will solve it internally with their existing resources, and half the time, they don't have any technical experts in-house. They will hire someone else to do it. The issue is, how do you get the technology? into the customer's hands. And with subscription, it's very difficult because you have to create the account, you have to share the login, you have to get a bill, you have to pay it, you have to transfer control of that account. If you want or those margins, they have to be paid. There has to be technical support and implementation. Now, some of that stuff sounds like what a service company can do, but if they can't even get the technology 
it's difficult. Like I always use this plumbing analogy, as everyone's probably sick of. It's true. If a plumber went to fix your bathroom, they're not going to send you to go buy your own pipes. At the hardware store, you're going to fire that plumber and get a real plumber. You know, but in software, uh, and then software, in licensed software, that still is $300 billion of that market is still di- driven that way. It's still dominated by this plumber mo- model. That is basically how almost all software is sold. It's only us in SaaS have broken it. So that's number one. Never, but what happens as a result? Uh, partners have to refer clients because they can't physically commercial off the shelf your software. And as soon as there's a referral, then you're in the, you're in the warm body uh, problem. And the warm body problem is, I think, what we're all seeing. So this is where uh, a customer has to talk to a salesperson. So now you have a salesperson. That's a warm body. And the partner made a referral. So that's two warm bodies. And now you have a conflict between partner and salesperson that needs to be managed. You end up hiring a partner manager. So you have three warm bodies, right? So that's already a lot of warm bodies for sale. Your margins are going down already. Customer is already annoyed having to deal with all this kerfuffle to just get something. Then because uh, it's a referral, the partner uh, is not as motivated to do uh, support implementation training because they didn't, they're not managing the account. The customer ended up talking to the company directly and your success team has taken it over. And so because success is involved, partner doesn't know what to do. They're less motivated, uh, even more so, to bring te- your technology to the customer. But meanwhile, your success team and it's not because they're malicious. They're just busy. Like, do they want to bring a partner involved and train the partner up to support the customer when they can just deal with this customer right away? So they just do that, right? And But then, of course, the client doesn't care about your success team, so they call the partner up because it's their, they're the ones responsible. And so they're now the partner has to do support, and they're not trained. So they, all, you, they need someone to help them immediately with support. So now you need, you need to they could escalate a support path. Now you have partner success, Right. So eventually, the partner team ends up with a completely parallel uh, structure to core revenue. So you have a, a, market, a partner marketer to acquire partners, you have a partner salesperson to handle sales, you have a partner success to handle success, and you've duplicated the revenue teams. But the partner team is not touching the customer normally. Like the core customer lives in core teams. And what you've done is created this entirely isolated team over here, dealing with the fact this other team over here is, is being interrupted by partner sales. And this is what's bogging down the teams is that no one at the higher level has seen that, hey, maybe the customer needs this kind of way to buy from us. Can we programmatize this and fold the program into the core revenue teams uh, so that they know how to sell better, serve the customer better when there's someone else involved, which is how I've basically, when I was successful, that's how I grew those teams. And when I was unsuccessful, I remember at FreshBooks, they folded all that stuff back into a partner team and moved it to its separate team. The CRO did that, and then everything collapsed. All the KPIs for the internal teams collapsed because we were driving them all. But you know, it worked for like a month or two, but then we were, di- we were involved in the team six. So once you're disconnected from the customer, you can't serve the customer. It doesn't make any sense. And even if we want, and even if we want to go acquire partners, you have a partner acquisition goal in the partner team, makes sense. But if you're not connected to customer demand flow, Right, it's like it's it's it's, cl- it's too clinical. It's isolated from customers. You know, you're talking to a partner about potential customer opportunities, but there's no customer around you. Right, you know, all the best partners we had were actually at like a conference or event where we're like all working the same customer together, and then we're like, oh, we should hang out and do more because we're actually working on the same opportunity in person. You know, that's how we met them. And I think so. What's bogging down 
uh, a lot of partner teams is this isolation. And this is why I kind of like, you know, listening to nearbound versus partnership leaders, the two views, like the contrary views of how to move forward from, you know, where my generation. And I kind of like nearbound like about a billion times more because it's about using the core teams and expanding out. You don't even need a partner team. You just need to partnerize uh, some of the existing flows, which makes sense. Partnership is mostly a tactic uh, most of the time. It can be a strategy, but if you'll know when it's a strategy. <laughs> the market will make it a strategy for you. It's like, if it's not, in the meantime, like, I guess blog strategy is not, you don't need to see this chief ecosystem officer to run a bunch of guest blog tra- trades. It doesn't make any sense. Or even integration strategy, right? So I, I think just focus on, like, don't isolate the partner and the partner team from core revenue. Like, m- try to fold it in so that it's aligned to customers, it's aligned to internal organization. Uh, otherwise, you're going to end up fighting internally. Which, like, no, and no customer cares how you're organized internally. Like, you're just, you're just confusing them, and your sales will go down. This doesn't make any sense. I think that's a lot of what's happening. That's happened in the last cycle, maybe. Yeah, and so why do you think that change happened? So, like, what's different today versus you know the traditional channel programs from five plus years ago? What? Why do you think this is more popular and? facing these challenges that it sounds like organizations didn't necessarily face before. It's interesting. When you say five plus, that's a lot of pluses past that. So there used to be, and there still is, this idea of a channel chief in license software. And it doesn't make sense to build a dedicated team there because your 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 company revenue risk is so tied to the channels, which are distributors and retailers and other kinds of go-to-market opportunities that each require a high surface area focused people because uh, 70% of your revenue would be coming through just a year or more. And I think some of what we've been doing now in SaaS is trying to like copycat that, what, what, what's happening. And certainly in some cases, it makes sense. Like AWS, if you're dri- driving, driving a lot of revenue through AWS, you're going to have a dedicated AWS team. If you have a lot of channel partners, agency partners, SIs, you're going to want to serve them in a very specific way because they have, they have different needs than direct customers. But I think also there's uh, been a push to, uh, I mean, SaaS has negative gross margins almost universally, right? It's not the greatest category of, soft, of technology ever. And so there's a push to like find revenue from places. So there's a lot of experimentation in the investor side of things, CEO side of things to find another revenue opportunity. It's like, well, there's people making money this way. Go, go make channel partners sell our stuff. But if there's been no customer demand, you might have trouble. Right, and so, uh, but they've been made. You're like you're you're you've been given this task to make magic out of nothing, uh, and I think a lot of that has been putting this team in isolation, so it doesn't disrupt core function because it's an experiment that might also be some of it as well. And I think also some people uh, have this idea that partnerships should be equal to sales and marketing. Uh, and success, which is appealing. It was appealing to me. But the uh, the idea of these uh, focused partnership teams uh, has not, I don't feel like they're doing as well as the other teams that come from, like my peer group came from product or marketing or sales uh, as their core place. Uh, those do, those were doing a lot better. And so uh, I think this desire to make a secondary track um, was was. There's meaning to that, but if you leave the customer behind in the, on the journey, you will be dead. Right. That's truth. 
Agreed. So let's wrap up with one tactical tip. So let's say, you know, I'm a partner manager, I'm a VP of partnerships. I just listened to everything you said. And, you know, I don't want to leave it on a a grim sentiment or too cynical of a sentiment, but like, let's say that's my reality and I don't want to leave my organization. What can I do today? What can I start doing more of that I'm probably not doing that can help me get closer to, you know, the ethos that you were just talking about where it should be focused on the customer? Uh, What is that tactical thing that you would advise someone to do? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of answers, as you know. Uh, so I put up a diagram on partnernapkin.com, uh, which you can check out. The most important question you should start asking yourself if you're thinking about growing revenue through partners is first, well, there's three questions. What is the position of our of our product to the market? And what is the position of partners product to the market and how does our position make the partner's position better that's a positioning statement second where in this where in the customer journey does this partner impact that could help core revenue teams hit their kpis and try to align programmatically this partner type to the underlying teams and then third is ask yourself when a partner has a customer what does it take for that customer to become our customer and how painful is it now it's and it's amazing to me how many people have cannot answer that question uh, at all. And they don't even know how billing works at their company. It's like, well, if they can't if you don't know how someone gives you money, <laughs> then you may not understand that they physically tried and failed, and therefore gave up on the sale, uh, which happens more than you think. Because I run a billing company for Channel, and I know that they that this is a huge problem that customers simply give up because it's so frustrating giving you dollars. Uh, it is an, like it is like you could 5x your revenue from channel if you just took the pain away of just letting your partner's commercial off the shelf product. Get rid of the warm bodies. I know what people like their warm bodies, like the people. I, 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 I feel bad for them, but it's not... You can't run a business that way. You have to think about efficiency. Doing things good for the customer first, and then you can bring in people to be, optimize that, not just throw bodies at the customer. Customers don't want to talk to bodies. They want to get on with their lives. Right. So it sounds like even like number two and three, it's focus on the buyer. What is the the buying stream for them? You know, are they buying the CRM and then your technology? Are they buying the services and then your technology? Where are you in that process? And then also, what does it feel like to actually engage? And I like your framing of the the warm body problem because then you think, oh yeah, there are more people engaged and that's more emails, that's more delays in responses, that's, you know, opinions getting in the way. So uh, thinking about that and using that as perspective, but then also in using that to inform what you're actually doing, um, I think is stellar to, yeah, be obsessed with the customer and what their experience is like, because uh, they're the only person that matters, not just just your number and producing KPIs that might not actually have business and customer impact. Sorry, I'll give you one analogy just to wrap it on your mind. Remember, the customer is not your direct customer, not buying you directly. So imagine you're buying a complicated thing like a furnace for your house. Remember, contracting is universal. We've been doing it for 12,000 years. Like, get, you know, read a book, guys. <laughs> it's happening all the time. If, you, if, if your furnace manufacturer started asking you about the number of BTUs, square footage, the, the natural gas, uh, you know, flavor in your house and all the stuff that they would ask uh, 
I, I, let's say I have no idea what they're talking about half the time. They started asking you as a homeowner all this stuff. You would just not buy that place, right? And that, and I think, is that what you're doing in your channel? Is by involving your salespeople with the customer when they don't know what they're doing? And is that necessary? Can you simplify? And so it's good to lurk. There's a little diagram. But just th- think of your customer and how they actually buy your stuff when they come from a partner and how difficult you're making it and how easy you could make it. You know, obviously, I would recommend using AppBind because that's what we built it for. But it doesn't matter. It's the same problem everywhere. Um, you can make it easier. Make it easier for the customer to give you money. Basic business. Is that wisdom from business? Why? Is that I just like? Yes. Yep. You're sharing wisdom. <laughs> I'm. I'm always appreciative of the wisdom that you share, Sunir. So, um, we will wrap things there. Thank you so much for sh- sharing that wisdom. Very good analogies. Very good perspectives and also of course as always with our podcast tactical takeaways thank you again for another episode of the howdy partners podcast and thank you samir